This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Jeffrey Kuvin, Chair of the Department of Cardiology at Zecker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell and Chair of the Department of Cardiology at North Shore University Hospital, Long Island Jewish Medical Center in New York. He is also Senior Vice President of Cardiology at Northwell. Dr. Kuvin, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much, Laura. I'm really thrilled to be with you. Before we dive into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about your background and your career journey? Absolutely. So you mentioned my titles at Northwell Health. Uh, I came to Northwell in February of 2020, an interesting time to come to New York, but that's when I began my journey here at Northwell. Northwell is a 23-hospital uh, healthcare system, which is the largest in the region. Uh, we span most of the downstate area of New York, including Long Island, Staten Island, Manhattan and Northern Westchester. Uh, prior to my roles at Northwell, uh, I was the chair of the Division of Cardiovascular Medicine at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in Lebanon, New Hampshire. And while there, uh, my job was to really build the academic profile at Dartmouth-Hitchcock uh, and to build the clinical services as well. Prior to Dartmouth, I was at Tufts Medical Center in Boston as an attending cardiologist for 17 years and I also trained there seven years uh, for seven years as well. So spent 24 total years at Tufts. And at Tufts, most of my career was focused on education. I was the training director for cardiology fellowship for my entire time there. And I was also uh, the head of graduate medical education for the institution. I was actually born and raised in Palm Beach, Florida, a small town on the East Coast, uh, now known uh, for uh, other reasons. Uh, certain people live, live and, and work there that you probably have heard of. Um, it was an interesting place to grow up uh, back in the 1960s and 1970s. My father was the town physician in Palm Beach, um, and he was a major influence in my life. Uh, thereafter, after uh, school in Florida, I went to the University of Michigan, uh, where I was an undergraduate. I studied Middle Eastern politics and uh, I was also uh, a varsity swimmer. And then uh, I went to Emory Medical School for four years before going to Boston. So that's sort of my life story in a nutshell. Oh, fantastic. Well, it sounds like, you know, you've gotten so many different experiences and especially as you mentioned, uh, coming to New York last February, <laughs> I'm sure not anticipating what was gonna happen all last year. You know, uh, it sounds like there must've been just a whirlwind. It was. It was a really interesting time to come to New York. Uh, in February, everything seemed to be quite normal. Uh, my wife grew up in New York, so it was sort of a coming home for her. Uh, and then the pandemic hit, which really obviously changed everyone's life. Uh, and as you know, New York was the first uh, epicenter uh, really outside of Wuhan. And um, it was just an amazing uh, experience to experience what we were experiencing here in New York. Uh, to live and breathe it every day. Northwell, given its size, was really the epicenter of the epicenter, uh, especially where we are in Long Island and across the downstate area. So it was um, uh, a real pivot for everybody. And um, we, were, we were able to do it. I think that uh, Northwell did an amazing job uh, for its patients and for its healthcare system. And I think really set the stage for what others were going to see and realize very soon thereafter. Well, fantastic. Now, I I'm wondering, what are the top three biggest issues in cardiology today, especially given everything that happened in the past year? 
No, absolutely. And this is what we, we live and breathe every day. Um, it's tough to think about the top three biggest issues, but I'll, I'll give it a try. First is we have to remember that cardiovascular disease remains the number one killer of uh, human beings throughout much of the world. With the exception for a period of time during COVID, this has remained uh, the top killer for many, many years now. So I think this is truly our biggest issue and it remains our biggest issue. Despite all of the fancy tools that we have, the new technology, the new medications, the ability to do non-invasive and invasive procedures, we still have a major problem. And that is many, many people are succumbing to cardiovascular disease. I think in the United States, the rise of obesity, which is often accompanied by diabetes, our continuation with poor dietary habits, um, our lack of ex exercise continue to be major contributors so therefore, I still think prevention towards removing cardiovascular disease as the number one killer is still probably the top issue in my mind. Another large issue, which I think we really saw highlighted by COVID is disparities in cardiovascular care that we see across the country and indeed across the world. We need to do better. We need to do better in recognizing differences in populations, studying different populations, and addressing populations by their specific needs. I think a third area um, is addressing the needs of our aging population. And in this, I really focus on heart failure as a major issue in cardiology today and in the future. As mentioned, we have a lot of tools, a lot of medications and procedures to extend one's life, but as the heart gets injured or is exposed to chronic issues like hypertension and other risk factors over the years, it fails in its ability to both contract and relax, causing symptoms, causing symptoms like shortness of breath, swelling, fatigue, causing major, major issues in our healthcare infrastructure. Um, and as you know, readmissions, healthcare costs, et cetera, it really has an, a major effect on, um, on everything we do in healthcare. I think those are probably the three biggest issues that I think about in cardiology today. That's really interesting to think about. And they all, you know, kind of stem around being able to care for populations, especially giving, you know, people that may not have had access to care in the past or, you know, don't have as much access as others, um, really making sure they're taken care of and understand uh, you know, their conditions. I'm wondering from your perspective, is there anything that you're doing right now, you know, with Northwell that is aiming to bridge that gap or, or find a solution to some of those challenges? It's a great question. And I would say everything we do right now is focused on these issues. Uh, we are trying to tackle disparities in healthcare, as I mentioned, through innovative research, through really knowing what our communities are going through, through reaching out to the communities and not waiting for the communities to come to us for care. Um, in terms of addressing prevention, we have major efforts across our system in preventive cardiology to teach patients, to teach healthcare providers, to teach family members about the importance of uh, preventive cardiology as the key to prevent whatever is going to come thereafter. And then addressing the needs of the heart failure population is also uh, something that uh, Northwell, I think, is doing quite well. This begins with primary care providers, it begins with the entire healthcare team to make sure that we can indeed influence 
people's lives when, when and if they do get heart failure to make sure that they are um, knowledgeable about what happens with heart failure in terms of volume overload and salt and the importance of, of daily weights and the importance of constant and compliant medical therapy. These are all super important to prevent patients from having the need to come into the healthcare system for hospitalization or readmission. That makes a ton of sense. Thank you so much for going through that with us. Now, how do you see heart care in general evolving over the next 18 months or so? So I think we need to think about what we just went through in COVID and take some lessons learned from the COVID playbook as we pivot to the next year or two. I think one thing we did learn was really the importance of telehealth. And I think you're going to see uh, this continue to evolve in not only the heart care, but also all of healthcare. We need to make sure that we as healthcare providers are more flexible in how we interact with patients. Instead of having our patients come to us, we need to meet them halfway. And seeing patients in a virtual environment, I think brings uh, a unique perspective. You can often talk to family members. You can often see in the background what their environments are like. And I think change or, or think about how that has an influence on their healthcare. I'm not saying that telehealth is our only future, but I think we need to think about flexibility as we continue on this healthcare journey. And something that COVID taught us was that even at a distance, we need to remain connected with our patients. I think the next thing uh, to think about as we continue to evolve, especially in cardiology, is how we can be clever in using technology in patient care Telehealth is actually one example of using technology, but there are so many other examples, especially in the cardiovascular space, whether it's remote monitoring for rhythm disturbances, whether it's something as simple as knowing one's blood pressure at home, one's blood sugar, weight, et cetera. We need to use technology more and more in how we continue to communicate. And then if you talk about the expansion of technology and cardiology with procedures, such as less invasive valve procedures or newer techniques for pacemakers or stents, it's endless and limitless. But in that, we need to be even now more careful about cost containment, about making sure that, th that all of our patients, not some of our patients, but all of our patients have the ability to get this high level, highly technical uh, expertise. Um, so I think that those are areas that we need to continue to evolve in the next couple of years, um, and that's going to help pave our way to the future. That sounds fantastic and really like there's a lot of promising things are happening. Now, what are you most excited about today and what makes you nervous? Uh, a lot excites me and a lot makes me nervous today. Um, I'm excited to work at Northwell to work in such a large, innovative healthcare delivery system. Uh, because we have the ability to really make an impact on the cardiovascular health for so many people in our area. I'm excited about what we're building here at Northwell, including quality improvement across the system, including ways to standardize care across the system. I'm really excited about building academic programs across the system and really throughout all of healthcare uh, and thinking about innovative ways to perform research, innovative ways to educate the next generation. What makes me nervous is uh, what we just went through. Not only the scars that I think uh, are going to be long to heal from what we went through with COVID, but I'm also worried about what's next. 
what's the next pandemic that could uh, and likely will reshape our future? Um, I think we have time, hopefully, to heal some of these wounds, our emotional wounds, our financial wounds, some of the physical wounds from COVID. But I do worry about us moving forward, um, refocusing on the needs of cardiovascular patients, how we can best deliver healthcare, um, and the costs that, that come with all of that. Absolutely. And I think you had a great point in terms of your last comment and looking at what patients need and then the cost that's associated with it. I know there's a lot of efforts today to really make sure that care is cost effective and that the healthcare industry is making smart decisions with the dollars going into it. Just briefly, do you have any thoughts or insights on how you know that aspect of care may evolve for heart patients? Yeah, so you know, I spent a, a while talking about all these great things, the technology that we have, the new medications, and this is wonderful and hopefully will improve uh, patients' not only uh, mortality, but also the morbidity. But with that comes enormous costs. And the bottom line is in the United States, we spend more per healthcare uh, uh, patient than anybody, anybody else in the world. And we need to make some fundamental changes in this. I don't want to hinder innovation and new discovery, but we also need to understand that some of the least expensive things are the most effective. I also mentioned some of the preventive things like exercise, like eating well, like just checking your blood sugar and your blood pressure. These are very inexpensive, but can have tremendous, tremendous impact on one's future health. So I think we need to put this all into perspective. I think we need to continue with the latest and greatest research and and uh, innovation and discovery, but we also need to make sure that we do this with fiscal responsibility. And I think that that's um, something that obviously the American healthcare system tackles every day, but we need to do it locally and to make sure that our patients have the opportunities to enjoy relatively low cost interventions that I think will be high yield. Got it. And that makes a ton of sense. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, can you share three pieces of advice for emerging physician leaders today? So um, absolutely. I, I love uh, being in leadership positions. Uh, I love to be able to work with uh, people who um, think in innovative ways and want to um, improve a system in which they work. Some of the things that I think about um, for emerging physician leaders are First of all, to make sure to communicate widely and to listen carefully. I think these are really important things as you move into leadership positions to make sure that your voice is heard, but that other people's voices are heard as well, and that there is a common theme in how things are communicated. I think uh, as a leader, uh, you're expected and you should try to be bold, but in doing so, uh, do so with the utmost respect and humility. The final thing I'll say about my style of leadership is I believe in distributing leadership and empowering others, certainly holding them accountable, but allowing other leaders to develop ideas, to implement them, to shine, and to continue to rise as well. So those are some of the ideas I think about when I think about leaders and, and what I would instill to other emerging leaders. Dr. Kuvin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thanks so much, Laura. I really enjoyed our discussion.